1: Evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday night. It's a little after six, and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. With me tonight is the bubbly and vivacious Miss Jeannie Kay. How are you feeling today, Miss Jeannie?
2: Just peachy. All right. (laughs) I would like to to thank very publicly um, for his little snafu. It's not just me.
1: Hi Don, how are you? Um, and the best producer of money can't buy, which is good because I, I don't pay him. Hi Barry, how are you tonight? Oh,
0: I'm doing good.
1: Doing oh, good. Yeah, I saw that gigantic mod you're making. Holy crap! You're making like the Paul Bunyan mod.
0: Like I said, it's only a four watt hour battery that's going in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, I yeah I don't see what we're getting excited about. <laughs> put it this way Yeah, um, I didn't really I saw the picture on Facebook and I'm like oh my god I never realized how tall Barry was until I see him holding a mod that le- looks normal in his hands but if I tried to hold it like my arm would be on the floor <laughs> <laughs> then I realize exactly how tall you are so
0: I'm average yeah. for where I come from I'm only 6 feet Yeah. And-
1: I understand that and I'm a i am i would be average for dwarf people where you come from. You're only six what, very?
0: Just six foot.
1: And just six foot. Mm. Yeah, I'm five four on a good day.
0: I'm actually okay. getting shorter. I've hit that time in my life where I'm slowly shrinking now.
1: Yeah, I can answer that. See my
2: husband's six two, so Yeah, you know, I guess it just doesn't seem really tall to me anymore. Um yeah. <sighs>
0: Well, yeah, we'll because, yeah see. I'm, I'm average I'm, for the Highlands. So, yeah, yeah,
2: I'm excessively um, vertically challenged. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh yeah, me too. Me too. Like I said, I'm like five four on a good day. That's yeah, you know my, in my, shoes.
0: Yeah, right. I I'm six foot. My brother's six foot two. Uh, one of my sisters is five foot ten. The other sister is five foot six. Our mother was four foot eleven. <laughs>
2: Well, taller than your mother, I'm happy to say.
1: Yeah, I, I'm taller than your mom, too. Not by much, but I am taller. So, um, things I didn't mention this week because I just, I guess it just slipped my mind and I assumed everybody knew about it. Um, the wired vehicle hacking thing, that was pretty interesting. And, um, I would, re- I would recommend if you have a car with OnStar or something similar, you you really check and make sure it doesn't have any sort of vulnerabilities.
0: Yeah, yeah. Make sure the Bluetooth secure, uh, yeah, and the link, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are simple things you can do. Um, and basically, I guess you're supposed to have separate devices for separate things, like. Your cell phone really isn't supposed to be your computer, but we're turning cell phones into computers and we're turning cars into cell phones. It's, I don't know. There needs to be a kind of a digital divide there, especially with a vehicle. Um, That was some scary stuff. Because if somebody nefarious wanted you to have a car accident, there really wouldn't be much you could do about it. You know, how would you even know?
2: Oh hell, it's this rate they could hit you with a drone though too,
1: Sergeant. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Pleasant things to think about. So, um does everybody know who General Wesley Clark is? Nope. Okay. Um He he is the one who came back from Afghanistan the first time and he gave a bunch of press conferences. If you wanna know who Wesley Clark is, search for a video from a place called Democracy Now called Seven Countries in Five Years. That'll give you a really good idea of who General Wesley Clark is. And the other day, on CNBC, they were interviewing him about um, the shooting that happened recently. You know which one I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Okay. And... They asked him a bunch of questions and it it ended badly. And I'll just read you what he said. And then I'm going to tell you what I think. Wesley Clark calls for internment camps for radicalized Americans. Retired general and former Democratic presidential candidate Wesley Clark on Friday called for World War II style internment camps to be revived for disloyal Americans In an interview with MSNBC's Thomas Roberts in the wake of the mass shooting in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Clark said that during World War II, if someone supported Nazi Germany at the expense of the United States, we didn't say that was freedom of speech. We put them in a camp. They were prisoners of war. He called for a revival of internment camps to help combat Muslim extremism, saying, if these people are radicalized and they don't support the United States and they're disloyal to the United States... As a matter of principle, fine, it's their right, and it's our right and obligation to segregate them from the normal community for the duration of the conflict. The comments were shockingly out of character for Clark, who, after serving as Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, made a name for himself in progressive circles. In 2004, his campaign for a Democratic presidential nomination was highly critical of the Bush administration's excessive response to the 9 11 terror attacks. Since then, he has been a critic of policies that violate the Geneva Convention, saying in 2006 that policies such as torture violate the very values that we espouse. In a memoir written the following year, he also famously alleged that the White House under Bush had developed a massively imperialistic plan for the Middle East, which would see the administration attempt to take out seven countries in five years, beginning with the invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan. Earlier this year, I spoke with Clark at the annual Lewis and Clark University Symposium on International Affairs in Portland, Oregon. The subject of our discussion was how to deal with the potential threat of foreign fighters returning from armed conflicts abroad. At the time, Clark spoke out strongly against the politics of fear and eroding democratic institutions and norms while reiterating the criticism of the excesses committed by the Bush-era neoconservatives under the banner of fighting terrorism. But on Friday, he was advocating a revival of a policy widely considered to be among the most shameful chapters in American history. World War II's domestic internment camps, aside from the inherent problems in criminalizing people for their beliefs, Clark's proposal, which his MSNBC inoculator did not challenge him on, also appears to be based on the concept of targeting people for government scrutiny are not even radicalized but who the government decides may be subject to radicalization in the future. That radicalization itself is a highly amorphous and politically malleable concept only makes the proposal more troubling. We've got to identify the people who are most likely to be radicalized. We've got to cut this off at the beginning, Clark said. I do think on a national policy level, we just need to look at what self-radicalization means because we're at war with this group of terrorists. And he added that not only the United States, but our allied nations like Britain, Germany, and France are going to have to look at their domestic law procedures. Despite an outcry about his comments on social media, Clark has not responded publicly. <sighs> the problem I have with this is the same problem I always have with this. You know, anything they propose to do to the outcasts or the people society don't like, or yeah. <laughs> people we're at war with, will eventually be used against normal citizens. Go. Well,
0: um, yeah. The the way he's worded it, the way he explains it, uh, the whole country needs to be yeah. put in a camp. Yes. Because it's you know, people who might end up radicalized.
1: Yeah, people who might not agree with government policies. Yeah. I don't know, so, I, I find that chilling Yes I find that chilling for me I'm sitting here and I'm I'm saying things that are critical of the government every freaking week Seriously, well, I, I don't think the, there's a week gone by where I've said the government has done something good
0: yeah, this week He talks about the Allies needing to look at their domestic law procedures Yeah, <laughs> There's been lots of discussions in the UK about this Um as far as I'm aware, we're going to continue what we have been doing, which is working with imams in um, mosques, right? And weeding out all the uh, hate preachers,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as they're called. Well, I mean, and trying to you know trying to get families to understand they need to keep an eye on their kids and check what, you know... Because a lot of these people have been radicalized on uh, the internet.
1: Well, true. But, I mean, here's the thing. It's a really short leap between saying this person has all the traits of becoming a radical Muslim, to this person disagrees with a government policy, or this person post stuff that's critical of the government. They're radical. They need to be put away. And I say that because they say things like white domestic terrorists are the biggest threat to America. These are things that people who run our government say. And that might very well be true. I I don't know. I'm not a domestic terrorist. But just the idea that I could look at something critically and I don't know I I remember when Justice Roberts, do, does anybody remember the story I did last year where he talked about internment camps Chief Justice John Roberts said that during times of war internment camps were always a possibility and he expected them to happen again
0: well yeah they're an easy solution for
1: A non-problem. politicians, yes. Well, I mean... I have a real problem... I have a real problem with this. Janie, thoughts?
2: We have known for a very long time that they're setting everything up now, Jan, to be able to profile you and classify you as any fucking thing they want. This just... It, there's another example
0: well as, as was pointed out uh, last week in fact yeah uh, Americans themselves have killed more of each other than ISIS has managed so far
1: <laughs> yeah well going to be an interesting time in America um And when the Asians say that may you live in interesting times, it's a curse. Maybe, maybe, maybe it kind of holds true. I don't know. So, yeah, that was the most, that was the biggest downer of a story. I figured we'd get it out of the way first. Because, quite frankly, uh, I don't think I could do this at the end without crying. Okay. Um, This is pretty interesting self-censoring fonts redact the words feds are watching for. If Edward Snowden taught us anything, it's that the government is always watching, always listening. Nothing escapes its notice, even that seemingly innocuous Facebook post you made about your trip to Mexico, or your tweet about the amazing pork belly you had last night. The Department of Homeland Security has a list of 370 words it tracks on social media to identify possible terroristic or public health threats. And follow unfolding natural disasters. That list included in the 2011 Analyst Desktop Binder includes obvious red flags like Al-Qaeda, North Korea, and suicide bomber, but seemingly banal words like help, pork, and snow are on there too. Scene, a downloadable font from designer Emil Kozel, brilliantly illustrates these linguistic triggers by redacting the so-called spook words type something as innocent as facility or San Diego and before your cursor even jumps the space ahead the word is hidden behind a black strikethrough. It's disturbing frustrating and alarming and that's the point. Kozel began working on scene in 23 after Snowden released a trove of documents outlining the scale of U.S. surveillance. He just moved to London from Slovenia to begin a master's design program at Central St. Martin's The designer was fascinated by digital surveillance and the spook words identified by the Department of Homeland Security and Britain's spy agency, the government communications headquarters. The designer programmed a custom-made Adobe OpenType font to recognize and redact these words, taken from a list the government released three years ago in response to a Freedom of Information Act request. When a hot word from the DHS or GCH database forms, the code in the typeface automatically strikes it out leaving your document smeared with bold black lines. Seeing scene isn't meant to help you evade government snooping eyes, but to make you think more about why the government might be snooping at all. The idea isn't to make a terrorist tool, but a conversation starter, Kozel said, so people will see and ask themselves why some of the words are on the list and why some aren't. This is pretty interesting.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah, the the, the halt word Thing, I mean, yeah, yeah. The, a lot of the time, the words uh, have apparently been chosen completely randomly. It's really quite strange. <laughs> it
1: does look that way.
0: Uh, yeah, Because it's, it's. I don't think that the font doesn't work quite the same way as the the. Uh, data-trolling systems the governments use, do, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it uses... It, um, the government ones are pretty sophisticated. They're looking right. for combinations of words, and words used in a, with a certain emphasis, rather than...
1: Well, they're looking for a word string. Yeah. Basically. Combination. And uh, I understand that, but... It is kind of chilling to see when you actually download scene yeah. and you type anything. A normal letter to someone. An email. You see what you're left with. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. So, yeah. I wonder yeah. what
0: would happen if you ran on um, some Russell Brand stuff through it. <laughs> <laughs> would it be able to handle it? I-
1: I, I don't know. I've got to tell you, I think Russell Brand is is interesting. I would um, I would love it if he could... You know, he's very intelligent. He's got a following behind him. I, I really wish he would wake up a little bit. Yeah. Just a little instead of... I, <laughs> he sounds like an overeducated idiot.
0: He is an overeducated I, idiot.
1: I, I know he is, but I'm saying, you know, and it is amazing to me that someone that overeducated has such a following. I, none of the stuff he says really makes any sense at all. Sounds really pretty when it's strung together, but it, it makes very little sense.
0: Well, yeah. D- and somebody
1: the... who thinks Che Guevara is a role model is a stupid fuck. Yeah, I'm sorry.
0: Well, d- during the elections here, yeah the the um, the people who monitor elections it mm-hmm. referred to Russell Brand as noise because he was saying a lot of things about politics but mm-hmm. none of it actually was of any value so he's basically well, a distraction
1: mhm I mean it would be great if, if people who were disenchanted like that had yeah. some solutions
0: oh he's got solutions they're completely shit but he's got <laughs> solutions
1: well no I, I meant real solutions, yeah, and I mean, I don't have anything any better than he does, but at least I know not to go running my mouth off about solutions,
0: yeah, but yeah, getting back to the point yeah the, i think I think the uh so- the software would glitch slightly if you put <laughs> one of his speeches through it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he, he is a strange... He's a strange dude. He's a strange, strange man. Well, he, he's so one, did one of these
0: you, people who deliberately uses big words just to sound intelligent.
1: mm mm-hmm. He, he is one of those people. Stupid. So, I mean, did anybody else hear about what happened at NIST? Because I was telling people about it, and they're like, Huh? What? And I'm like, Really? Is it really not everywhere? Because I know the Associated Press picked up on it. It was kind of a big story. No?
0: No, well, there should be nothing over here about it, really.
1: Okay, so... Uh, okay. Breaking Bad at NIST. The National Institute of Standards and Technology appears to have been the unwitting victim of a real-life Walter White the meth-cooking chemistry teacher in the hit television show Breaking Bad. A weekend explosion at the federal laboratory's Gathensburg, Maryland campus was linked yesterday to the production of methamphetamine, an illegal stimulant often cooked in home laboratories. Federal and local law enforcement agencies are now investigating how the explosion happened and whether a NIST security guard injured in the blast might have been involved. Just as in any investigation, we're interviewing possible witnesses and letting the evidence just take us where it should, said Montgomery County Police Department spokesman Captain Paul Starks, who added that no charges have been filed and no suspects publicly identified. On Saturday, July 18th, an explosion rocked the NIST campus at about 6.45 p.m., injuring the security guard and sending the Institute's fire and police forces flocking to the scene, Starks said. The explosion happened at a, quote, special projects building, 236, um, a smaller facility with laboratories reserved for particularly hazardous research. According to NIST spokesman Gail Porter, the lab in question was not in use at the time of the incident, but was transitioning from combustion research to a new project. The guard who suffered non-life-threatening burns resigned on July 19th, Porter said. The Associated Press had reported that Epsom salts and other materials associated with meth production were found in the lab, whereas one local television news station quoted the federal law enforcement sources as saying pseudephedrine, drain opener, and a recipe for meth were also found. Citing the ongoing investigation, which is being carried out jointly by the Montgomery County and the Drug Enforcement Agency, Stark said only that some evidence indicates that drugs such as methamphetamine were being manufactured. He would not confirm whether materials used for the creation of controlled substances were being stored on the property or bought onto the property. Representative Lamar Smith, chairman of the House. Science, Space, and Technology Committee got involved today expressing grave concern over the incident in a letter to the Secretary of Commerce, Penny Pritzker. NIST is part of the Commerce Department. I am troubled by the allegations that such a dangerous and illicit activity went undetected at a federal research facility. It is essential we determine exactly where the breakdown in protocol occurred and whether similar activities could be ongoing at other federal facilities, Smith wrote in an accompanying press release. He has requested a briefing with NIST no later than the 29th of July.
0: Yeah, well.
1: (laughs) Uh, I have a problem. Uh I I don't have a problem that it went undetected. I just have a problem that everything's so corrupt that people are just kind of like, eh, oh well. Does it not freak anybody else out that they were making meth at a federal building? Well. Your tax dollars at work, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: Could be worse. It could be meat and crock
1: well they could have been making crack I guess they could have been running a prostitution ring um, no human trafficking um, murder for hire I mean I don't know but I, I think it's pretty bad I'm, yeah. like, I'm the only one who thinks that's bad
0: oh it is bad but
1: not surprising
0: I, I, I'm, uh, it's, it's surprising that they got caught because I'm sure it's not the first time this has really happened
1: Uh, I would assume not. Jeannie, any thoughts? I'll take that as a no. (laughs) It's so bad. Jeannie's like, yeah, I'm just not even surprised. Nobody's surprised. All right. So just in case anybody's... um, Anybody hears anything that sounds really loud in the background, um, we... We've been having massive storms here so I may get cut off at just about any point in time. Yeah. So yeah. yeah it's you
0: like see, you know, stuff happens in labs. Um <laughs> what? the guy the guy who rediscovered um ecstasy worked right. at Dow Chemicals. and made some very very pure ecstasy while he was at work. Right. Uh, he ended up, funnily enough, when they discovered it, he got fired from Dow. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> big giant chemical lab, and he found this uh, these notes for this um, drug from German research in the 1920s uh, Well, right. And decided but... to make some. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, but you know, you you kind of expect that. I mean, you you expect that research will be revisited and redone, even if it is research that, you know, is technically illegal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It uh, It's pretty... I think it's pretty funny, actually. So, I don't know. Uh, I have, you know, no clue what to say about uh, Walter White working for the federal government, but, uh... I know they got some pretty good health insurance coverage, so that should not be an issue. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just saying. Okay. Um, Not a surprise. U.S. Treasury Intelligence Network, vulnerable to hack. There's a shock. Lacks security at the U.S. Treasury's computer system for tracking overseas threats to America's financial system vulnerable to hackers according to a government audit prepared in late 2014 and obtained by Reuters, and i'm sure i pronounced that wrong the treasury foreign intelligence network used by u.s spy agencies to share top secret information and keep tabs on the impact of sanctions against countries such as iran and russia as well as militant groups like hezbollah Um, The report prepared in September 2014 gave no indication the foreign intelligence network had been hacked, but auditors found up to 29% of the Treasury's devices connected to the intelligence network did not meet federal cybersecurity standards. As a result, devices may not be protected with the most secure recommended configurations, increasing the risk of being compromised, the Treasury's Office of Inspector General or OIG said. A copy of the audit was obtained Thursday through a U.S. Freedom of Information Act request, and I bet they put that in about a year ago. A Treasury official said the OIG had identified a major issue on a very secure system. Since the release of the audit, Treasury has remedied the matter, the official said. The report comes to light following the revelation of the theft by hackers of millions of U.S. government personnel files. Americans intelligence chief has said that the hack was linked to China, although U.S. officials say the government does not plan to publicly blame Beijing. Intelligence analysts say use the Treasury system to identify overseas threats to America's economy and finances. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew said last year the prospect of a cyber attack on the U.S. financial system was a, quote, real threat to national security. The Treasury's intelligence system is also used to assess the economic disruption caused by U.S. sanctions on targeted countries, groups, and individuals. In a controversial deal that faces fierce opposition in Congress, the Obama administration has agreed to ease sanctions on terrain on Iran if terrain scales back its nuclear program. I don't even know what that is doing in the middle of the story. Um Treasury originally designed its foreign intelligence network in 2004 to be used by about 30 officials, but built the system up to accommodate more users as America stepped up its global campaign against Al-Qaeda and other militant groups. Between March and May of 2014, OIG auditors conducted an annual review of the Treasury's cybersecurity, found some computers using Microsoft Corp's Windows had not been properly configured. That meant network engineers would have trouble updating security software for the sensitive network. computers, servers, and printers, the audit said. This was not the first time auditors had found top-secret Treasury system lacking. In a 2008 audit, the OIG found the Treasury Foreign Intelligence Network was slow in upgrading a system that relied on antiquated hardware and software. In a letter attached to the 2014 report, the Treasury's top intelligence officer, S. Leslie Ireland, said she agreed with the OIG's finding. Treasury officials were already working to close the security gap and plan to finish that job by April 2015, about six months after the audit. Yeah, there's a shock. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, they spend all this money to spy on people and normal people. Keep
2: their shit secure
1: no shit they they were running what Windows 98 at one point
2: Well, yeah. yeah but you know why they were running Windows 98 because it was more secure than all the shit that came after it <laughs> it was more stable
1: oh I'm sure it was stable I'm just not sure I, I think Windows is just basically broken crap and instead of fixing the problems they just throw more broken crap on top of more broken crap here, have, have a
2: have a free version of Windows 10. Yeah,
0: uh, two days to go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Um. So Brian says he can't hear. So I guess I'm going to type refresh in the chat. Um. I. Yeah, I, I think. I, how long have we been doing this show together? Over uh, a year. A while. Close yeah. close to two. I think it's close to two years. And every week I, I see stuff and I go, I don't... I'm not even getting upset about it now. There, I used <laughs> to read stuff that would make me cry. And now it's just kind of like, eh. This is how it is now.
2: Okay. Hmm? It's like, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. Well, this one's kind of bad. I thought it was kind of bad. Um... You know, but I think a lot of stuff is kind of bad, and everybody else just kind of like, meh. So, we'll see. Court declares air fresheners, pro-police stickers, as reasonable suspicion for cops to pull you over. The ruling upholds the idea that police officers can profile and detain people who aren't actually committing any crimes. Kingsville, Texas. Last Thursday, the Fifth Circuit U.S. Supreme Court of Appeals ruled that is suspicious... <sighs> It is suspicious for a vehicle to have air fresheners, rosaries, or pro-police bumper stickers. The ruling stems from a 2011 Texas court case in which a couple was pulled over for having rosaries hanging from the rearview mirror, as well as a few air fresheners and a DARE sticker on the back of the vehicle. Noemi, Noemi. Pina Gonzalez was pulled over by police officer Mike Temiz when she was driving two miles per hour over the speed limit. The officer did not pull her over because she was speeding, but because he suspected that she was trafficking drugs and found the contents of her vehicle and the sticker to be suspicious. Eventually the officer questioned her husband, Ruben Pina Gonzalez, who agreed to allow the officer to search their vehicle. The officer did not find any drugs, but he did find a large sum of cash that he confiscated and then sent Ruben Pina Gonzalez to jail. Recently, the case was taken to the Court of Appeals where it was decided that Officer Tamez had reasonable suspicion to detain the family and to ask to search their vehicle. The court wrote in its decision that... We do have concerns that classifying pro-law enforcement and anti-drug stickers or certain religious imagery as indicators of criminal activity risks putting drivers in a classic heads-I-win, tails you lose position. But we need not decide whether these items alone or in combination with one another amount to reasonable suspicion, because we find more suspicious evidence to be the array of air fresheners and the inconsistencies in the drivers' responses to the officers' basic questions. We have long recognized that the presence of air fresheners, let alone four of them, placed throughout an SUV, suggests a desire to mask the odor of contraband. This ruling upholds the idea that police officers can profile and detain people who aren't actually committing any crimes. Police already profile people according to a number of different factors, and now they have confirmation that their tactics are legally acceptable.
0: Yeah, well, they're, they're, the police roles can going do that kind of stuff.
1: Well, yeah, but you don't generally have the Supreme Court going, oh, well, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I, I have a friend who has three teenage boys, okay? She has probably more air fresheners in her vehicle than anybody else I've ever known, and that's because her kids are in sports, and she drives them to and from all the stuff, you know, all their games, you know, soccer, lacrosse, baseball, football, all that. And, um, if you've ever played sports in high school, you know how the equipment tends to get an odor to it after a while, you know, um.
0: So to be safe, to be safe from, uh, getting pulled over by the police, she needs, just needs to put her kids on the roof rack. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, or just, you know, open a container of, like, bounce dryer sheets in the car, I guess. Which is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. This is not not a conversation we should really be having. Although, you know, we just talked about Walter White working at NIST. um, And, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, your government investigating reporters for investigating well doing actual investigative journalism and a whole bunch of other fun stuff and it always feels like the same thing though i mean it's all a symptom of a larger problem right like i didn't realize it was quite this bad everywhere and i don't think it was quite this bad until you started seeing a global economic downturn right and that's when i really noticed um these sort of stories increasing in frequency?
0: Well, yeah. This, you see, when when people are distracted by real problems, it's a good opportunity for uh, governments and law enforcement to um, do a bit more meddling.
1: I guess. I See, I, I always thought that was a symptom of reaching for control. Oh, you've got a system that's floundering probably in one way or another, failing. I mean, we've talked about this. I I don't think the monetary situation can hold out forever. I think you're going to start seeing some real problems. I mean, Greece was not a flash in the pan, and Greece was not the only problem in the Eurozone. And right now, with the interconnectedness of things, we're interconnected in a way we've never been interconnected before. Um... We're interconnected monetarily and globally in ways we've never been before. Um, So it really is not a great time to be around. And I really wouldn't want to be living in Greece right now. But there are other places that are going to experience the same sorts of issues. I (coughs) want to talk about it.
0: Oops, a daisies.
1: Whoopsie Daisy!
2: I don't think I've heard that fucking comment out of an adult since Notting Hill. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, We needed that. Uh, I guess what I was gonna say is, um, yeah, this is kind of one reason why we talk about people should lay in stores of stuff, food and things like that. I don't know. Other does that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No, me either. No, I don't have whole room in my house for that at all. Um, so very. Um, you know about Hornet, right? Yeah. What do you think about it?
0: Uh, I haven't really thought about it, <laughs> to be honest.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's just another onion type router, right? Yeah. Okay. It, d- I'm looking at it and I'm, you know, I'm no computer genius. I really like computers, but, um, I'm no computer genius. I, I don't know how much more secure it's going to be. Although they claim it's supposed to be faster.
0: Yeah. Computer guys claim a lot of things a lot of the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. That's kind of why, um, you know what I love? I love when uh, we're doing a podcast and I get messages on Facebook. Can you guys hear those? Do they bling through? No, no. No? Okay. I thought they might. So, yeah. Um, researchers are claiming they've developed a tour that's better and, and faster. But, I mean, I think the problem with tour is, what the problem with tour has always been, is that tour was actually developed by the military. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's not like these people don't know their way around Tor. We just borrowed it. So I I think, am I wrong to say, unless you're willing to take expensive and excessive steps, you really can't expect much privacy on the internet anymore?
0: There's never been (laughs) privacy on the internet. Because it's very nature. If somebody really wants to know what you're doing, they they can find out.
1: Well, right, but I'm saying, you know, there is no there is no way to do things anonymously. No. If a government wants to know what you're doing or who you're talking to, they're going to find a way, whether you're using Tor or not. Yeah. I mean, we've we've even talked air gap machines are no guarantee anymore either.
0: Yeah. I mean. All, all you can do is uh, make them have to take longer looking. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, if you don't want to get caught, you have to remain mobile and use disposable equipment.
1: So, yeah. Not really cheap. No. Right. Well, so, yeah. I mean, I don't... Honestly, I don't even really want to talk about this. So... I'm going to stick the link in chat from Ars Technica. Uh, If you're interested in Hornet tour, you can read that. Um, My God, I'm sorry about the monstrous link.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I'm the one that do that.
1: Yeah, well, I I just grabbed it. Instead of um, copy pasting, I just grabbed the the story entirely, which was stupid. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think. Did anybody else notice anything weird this week? Like um, more people telling, letting God drive their cars and almost killing people? Or um, more, I, more, I, idi-
2: well, there's, there's a vapor that's pretty famous that he, he and his family sold everything they own and moved to Texas, and God is providing for them well now. I'm, I'm not saying that he's not, um, Mm -hmm. I'm adverse to people that, that have religion far beyond my own at Mm -hmm. all. I'm just saying that, um, if my husband and I decide to sell everything we own and relocate, um, I think, um, any Supreme being is going to count on us to get off our fucking ass and make do for ourselves.
1: Um, yeah. So I'll drive my
2: own car too, thanks.
1: Yeah. Well, the reason I was asking is because last week was like the parade of of stupid stories. Um, (laughs) Some guy got into an argument with a bus driver in Tampa. And he got off the bus and he was so mad with the driver that he headbutted the windshield of the bus. (laughs) He knocked himself out. Um, He hurt himself pretty bad. He went to the hospital. They took him to the hospital, um, treated him. And then when, you know, he was well enough, they arrested him and threw him in jail because he didn't have the money to pay for the windshield, which he fractured with his head. Um, Because that's the way adults handle conflict these days. And then there was the idiot in Texas who decided he needed to pick up a rattlesnake because it was good for a selfie. He's uh, in the hospital now. Yeah, I you got to be he's a special. A, he seriously deserved that shit. I'm sorry. He he did. He he. I'm surprised he's not a candidate for a Darwin Award. The the best part was, you know, he's showing the pictures of you know what the anti venom and stuff did to him because he he got bit by that rattler so much that he used all the anti venom in a three county hospital area. That was a majority of his bill. But the best part was when he got on social media and was bitching about the cost of his medical bill. He didn't understand, you know, what poison treatment was and why it was so expensive. Well, you fucking jackass. You used all the anti venom in three counties to keep your dumb ass alive.
0: Yeah, I mean, These- they, pay, they pay students to wander about the desert <laughs> um, milking <laughs> rattlesnakes so they can make the anti venom.
1: I mean it, it's not just something that we can synthesize. You actually need venom to make anti-venom, no, which means some stupid fuck yeah. has to go out and catch
2: rattlesnakes yep. and bring them back on purpose. Yep.
0: And uh yeah, for the different the the anti-venoms different for each slightly different type of rattlesnake. So yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well he, he used it all in three counties and he got on social media and was complaining about the cost of his bill.
0: Yeah, I I, she, I did see mention of it on Facebook from Lena.
1: Yeah, um there were last week were some really straight like I said, you know, the lady who figured, you know, God was going to drive her car. Well the country son said so. Oh, sure. Sure, sure. Um uh, that kind of killed me um that idiot killed me I, I don't what the hell are these people thinking
0: well well the, yeah snake the snake guy just, can't somebody just send him a black mamba then he won't be a problem anymore
1: <laughs> I well that's did I ever tell you about the guy down here I probably didn't okay so this guy down here is kind of a, a idiot he catches snakes. He he's he catches wild critters and he has them all over his home. But he loves snakes, so he caught a rattlesnake and he put it in a pillowcase on his bed and he slept with it. And he pulled the snake out and tried to kiss it. That was wrong. <laughs> that was that was so wrong. I, I'm absolutely amazed that people are kind of able to survive anymore. I see people doing this stupid crap.
2: Uh, The the internet shows us every day, Jan, that um, survival of the fittest um, needs to make a return
1: to popular light. Well, here's the thing. Um, If you live in a civilized society, you only walk as fast as your slowest member can run. Some of these people are just fucking morons. The girl that wanted to take a selfie with the black bear. Yellowstone got mauled almost to death. These people are not using their brains. I don't
0: know. That's because, you know, they they think life is is like all the reality fly-on-the-wall shows that they watch on TV. Um, it must. Be, enough, it isn't because real life be, doesn't have a script.
1: <laughs> no,
0: and a producer it, and a director.
1: <laughs> well, it must be me. But I mean, why would you think? Oh, look, it's a Black Bear selfie. Really? Do Do you know anybody who takes selfies? I've I've never yeah. really really.
2: I was picking on my son's girlfriend over the weekend, actually. Because she's like, oh, look at this selfie stick. And I'm like, what the fuck is a selfie stick? <laughs> Did you know that they make sticks now that you can put your video, that you can oh, put your cell phone in so that you can take better selfie pics? Yeah, I well, yeah. thought she
1: was kidding. No,
0: she's yeah, kidding. They're banned in Singapore. Yeah,
1: yeah they are, actually. Yeah, they're, they're banned in Singapore.
0: And from most museums.
1: They they should be banned in a lot of places. Uh, um, yeah.
2: Well, I can I'm just... see a lot of places banning them because, you know, it the litigious point that we are in, in the world, um, you know, people could, they could use it as a weapon.
1: <laughs> um, they probably can could.
2: Can you imagine? I was, you know, well, my husband was beat to de- death with a selfie stick. <laughs> Can you, I mean, sub, can you imagine sitting on that jury and, and not
1: laughing? No, I can't. I know. I know. So, did anybody hear about George Samorlis? Okay, you have no idea who he is, but he's a town selectman in Bill Rica, Massachusetts. Um, do you know what he did a couple Sundays ago? Oh,
3: good Lord
1: no no the the people in his town kept asking him when are the town's crosswalks going to get repainted
3: right and he had
1: been he repainted them himself yeah right and they put him in jail for it I'm sorry what they put him in jail for it they've been at people in the town have been asking this man for six years when it was going to be done so he took his own money and he went out early Sunday a couple weeks ago and he painted them all the, the town green color it did this with his own money. <laughs> um, and so the police and town officials said that painting the street without authorization was illegal. And they charged him with two counts of destruction of property. The town manager defended that. And he said that that guy, their council, selectman who was trying to make his the people who elect him happy said he had no respect for the governmental process and they charged him $4,000 for the cost of cleaning up his paint job because they said it smeared (laughs) yes but he did what the people wanted him to do Yeah.
2: and they put him in jail
1: yes they they put him in jail and they charged him $4,000 for trying to be a good governmental official
0: it's it's called yes officiousness alive and well
1: well I mean how often does that happen really right that yeah. you get somebody who actually does the right thing and the thing that you ask them to um, it's just not really all that often you get somebody that does and they get in trouble for it and then whoever else you elect learns not to do that Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is it me, or does the news just feel like it's, like, terrible tonight?
2: It is terrible tonight. Okay. No, it is. There's
1: a lot of shit in here that is just kind of, like... Yeah. So, um... In the state of Georgia... I guess if you want a copy of the state's own laws, you better buy it from the state. Two years ago, we wrote about the state of Georgia ridiculously threatening to sue Carl Malmond and his site public.resource.org for copyright infringement for publishing an official anointed copy of the state's laws. This followed a similar threat from the state of Oregon, which wisely backed down. Malmud has spent the last few years of his life doing wonderful and important work, trying to make sure that the laws we live by are actually available to the public. The specific issue here is that while basic Georgia legal code is available to the public, the state charges a lot of money for the, quote, official code of Georgia anointed." anointed. The distinction here is fairly important, but worth noting that the courts will regularly rely on the annotations in the official code which more or less makes them a part of the law itself. The state points directly to the anointed version as the official laws of the state. Furthermore, the annotations are very important in understanding and applying the relevant interpretations and case law. Case law is a part of the law, after all. And then the question is whether or not the law itself should be subject to any copyright restrictions. Walmud has long argued that no, while the state has obviously argued yes probably blinded by the revenue from selling its official copy of the anointed code. Um, it took two years, but the state has now done the absolute ridiculous thing of suing Malmud. It's about as ridiculous as you would expect. Again, focusing on the highly questionable claim that the official code of Georgia anointed is covered by federal copyright law. And that not only was malmud <gasps> Distributing it, but also creating derivative works. Oh, no. And he's such an evil person that he was encouraging others to do so as well. This action for injunctive relief arises from the defendant's systemic, widespread, and unauthorized copying and distribution of copyrighted annotations in the official code of Georgia Anointed, OCGA. Through the distribution of thumb drives containing copies of the OCGA and then the posting of the OCGA on various websites, Defendant has facilitated, enabled, encouraged, and introduced others to view, download, print, copy, and distributed the OCGA copyrighted annotations without limitation, authorization, or appropriate compensation. On information and belief, defendant has also created an unauthorized derivative work containing the OCGA annotations by rekeying the OCGA in order to make it possible for members of the public to copy and manipulate the OCGA, therefore encouraging the creation of further unauthorized derivative works. Believe it or not, the state of Georgia is actually claiming that it needs the copyright protections here to incentivize it to create annotated copies of the law. Apparently without copyright, Georgia's law would remain sadly unannoyed. I'm pronouncing that wrong, sorry. Each of these annotations is original and a creative work of authorship that is protected by copyright and owned by the state of Georgia. Without providing the publisher with the ability to recoup its costs for the development of these copyrighted annotations, the state of Georgia will be required to either stop publishing the annotations altogether or pay for development of the annotations using state tax dollars. Unless defendants' infringing activities are enjoined, plaintiffs and citizens of Georgia will face losing valuable analysis and guidance regarding state laws. This is ridiculous. This is what-
2: absolutely ridiculous.
1: Mm-hmm. In what world does making the law require copyright re- protection?
2: I mean... And see, because I don't agree with the bullshit where when somebody submits a freedom of information request, I I think it's bullshit that they're charged for that information by the page. Mm -hmm. Send them a PDF for fucking free. We already paid for this information. Mm -hmm. This is the same shit. Yeah. States have to supply you with the law. They can't refuse to provide you with the law. And if the annotations are what is used to support cases in a court of law, then they have to supply you with those. So this, it's fucking ridiculous.
1: Okay. Um, well, I mean, okay. Now, Carl Mahmood has been doing this for 18 years. Trying to make the laws available to people so they know, you know, what laws you're breaking today, um, what the laws are like, where you live. So they're there for everybody. And he's been doing this for 18 years. I think this is the first time he's ever been sued for it.
0: George, I must be uh, wanting extra money.
1: Ooh, yeah. Well,. Uh, the complaint further submits as an exhibit um, a Columbia Journalism Review article about Mahmoud from 2009 in order to support George's ridiculous claim that Malmud sees what he's doing as a form of terrorism. The lawsuit says the following. Karl Mahmoud has indicated that this type of strategy has been a successful form of terrorism that he has employed in the past to force government entities to publish documents on Mahmoud's terms. Okay, so if you want to know the law in Georgia, I guess be willing to pay. That's...
0: But but don't photocopy any of it.
1: Yeah, don't photocopy any of it and write it out longhand. I don't know. Yeah, well... At this
0: point, annotations are basically just notes people have made on the law. So, Mm -hmm. surely... When somebody, unless they have actual written permission from the state of Georgia, right? Surely, if somebody's annotating the law, they're actually breaking the law. <laughs>
1: um, you know, probably or committing terrorism. You know, yeah. it it all depends on what Georgia's thinking this week. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so, know. all
0: the people who wrote the annotations, surely they should all get arrested.
1: You know, you'd think so. Um, yeah. It's uh, 7 o'clock. Are you all ready right. to try Alex?
0: Yeah. Let's see if I can add him.
1: Okay. Hi, um, <clears throat> good evening, and welcome to the CASA update for the week of seven twenty seven, twenty fifteen. 2015 Hi, Alex, how are you doing?
3: Good, how are you doing?
1: I'm okay. Um, so, I hate to ask you what's been going on, but I guess I'm going to.
3: <laughs> um, well, this is one of those... I guess we're in a rare window here where there isn't a whole lot going on. Um, yeah. at least, at least from my desk. Um, which I, I told you in the little Skype yeah. chat, I, I don't have a whole lot to talk about tonight. So, um, yeah, it, it's not necessarily a horrible thing, but,
1: uh, it's, it's kind of nice.
3: <laughs> we we could all be a little bit concerned when things are quiet, uh, calm before storm and, and all that. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's definitely true. And you know what I kind of noticed? It kind of seems like um, everybody has kind of noticed that there's a law now that you can't really sell e-liquid without a license and everybody's up in arms about it. They're like, I didn't see anything on any of the CASA pages about it. I'm like, really? Did you not read the call to action about Alabama?
3: Oh, the, um, yeah. or is that Arkansas?
1: Arkansas, Alabama. Arkansas. I
2: yeah. am, I am,
1: I have to tell you, Jim.
2: before I mute my microphone, I'm sorry, I forgot. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I have to tell you that the amount of people bitching about advocacy groups here in the last few days is really, really bothering me. You know, everybody's, you know, well, why didn't this advocacy group do something about this? Well, why didn't this <laughs> advocacy group do something? I'm like, wait a minute. Oh. I don't. I don't think that people really understand that an advocacy group is there to teach you how to fight for yourself and how to stand up for yourself. They're not there to fight this fight for you. And I've had this argument for a week now, and it's Mm -hmm. really starting to make me
1: crazy. Well, I mean, there are not all that many of us in CASA, I would say, that are... um, Able to do things like Alex and Julie can do, and there are only so many of us to go around. We don't get paid. Now, this I can't tell you how much sleep I know Alex lost <laughs> while he was trying to work last year and do this stuff.
3: This year, um, this year, yeah. <laughs> no, it well, seems like a year, but it, it, it does seem like a year. It's only been uh, seven months.
1: Yeah, but. I can't tell you how much sleep he's lost and Julie's lost. And people aren't just jumping up to volunteer and do this stuff. You get contact information for these people and and try to figure out how how best to help people craft letters to people in their counties and and their cities and, and warn them about ordinances. I mean, when I first started, it was enough to post a story about a possible ordinance and you post it in any vaping advocacy group now and people just kind of meh. And then they, they post about, you know, something else like a a wireless laptop battery exploding and, and everybody's like, see, it's not just e-cigs. Well, okay. But this town is talking about banning vaping outdoors. (laughs) Just thought you'd want to know. Um, people really are not picking up on that because they're not really reading the stories, and not even not reading them with a critical eye. They're not reading them at all. That's a problem. Well, if you don't probably, know.
3: What's, go ahead. It's something. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I, I guess you know Arkansas being the um, outrage of the day for last week or whatever um, is that was a special circumstance, not unprecedented, but certainly um, something unique that we've seen this year. Um, and and for all of the people that are sort of caught off guard by this new law, um, it's, I think to some extent, we all probably expected some of this reaction. Um, mm-hmm. Just to give everybody a little bit of background. So we didn't have a whole lot of time to get the word out about this we were tracking the bill uh, I can't even remember off the top it was like 978 or something like that so right. we were we were tracking the bill when it was introduced but when it was introduced it was just a shell bill it's what's called a shell bill there's no real right. substance to it there's just sort of a brief description in this case just as an example it says we're going to regulate electronic cigarettes that's essentially it <laughs> and then it sat like that months nothing happened with it and then all of a sudden we get you know our tracking info comes back and it's a huge bill like overnight this thing has tens of pages to it and there are all kinds of regulations that it's proposing and it's just bad 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 Mm -hmm. and it's going to committee in two days that's there's just there's not much you can do about that and we even got we were we found ourselves in a conversation with a lobbyist on on the ground somebody who was doing this pro bono Mm -hmm. who had you know negotiated negotiated things down to some extent the problem is that this person essentially did this on their own there was no contacting with us or other national groups, right. these, these, this guy went in. I, I, I don't think alone is the appropriate characterization, but by comparison to the amount of help that this person honestly had access to, they essentially went in alone. Um, and so by the time we're reading this bill, everything's set in stone and, and, and people may or may not remember you know, Greg Conley hopped on a plane. I was at an event with Greg Mm -hmm. and Cynthia in South Jersey. And, you know, uh, (laughs) like, you know, during the day I'm sitting there, I'm chatting back and forth with people trying to figure out what's (laughs) going on in Arkansas. And we get down there and Greg is saying, ah, I I have to hop on a plane tomorrow morning at 6am to get down to Arkansas to go testify. I mean, it was, it, it, it wasn't that people didn't, do anything. It's that we right. just didn't we didn't have time to react. And something else that everybody really needs to keep in mind is that this is the first nightmare year of mm-hmm. all of this legislation. Yeah, you know, it's... even even though we have national advocacy groups, we have vendor organizations, and and we have big companies. Some of these people can afford the lobbyists. Mm-hmm. That's just that's like one lobbyist here, another lobbyist yeah. here. It's it's not there isn't a, a, a massive organization of vapor lobbyists that are actually able to affect change in these proposed you know bills mm-hmm. and and it's you know I think I think Pamela Gorman actually laid this out when I was at something in Los Angeles and right. you know she said you know they have one lobbyist at the table mm-hmm. the other guys have several. So you're talking about one vapor lobbyist at the table with several from tobacco companies, from pharmaceutical companies, from the, the healthy lifestyles industry, you know, but then you just <laughs> right. got one, one little vapor lobbyist from one e-cigarette company at the table in California. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're outgunned, we're outnumbered at just about every turn.
1: Oh yeah. At any time, anytime, any sort of victory manages to get through. I mean, it's a huge thing and that only happens because people participate. But when I tell you people aren't, aren't paying attention, they're not, you've seen the stuff I read every day. You know what I read every day because you, you get what I read every day. So you know how stuff ends up in local papers and I think people um, people wrongly assume that these advocacy groups are are just huge, and there's tons of people in them. There's not. not there's very few people in like them.
2: Like fifty thousand members. That that means there's fifty thousand people helping, and that is just. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, if, if we had if we had if all of our membership donated a dollar a month, we'd be able to pay a couple of full time staff people. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, but we don't. We haven't. We have uh, Should dial that back a little bit. We aren't actively fundraising for a paid uh, staff person. Um, we're we're still working out the kinks on being able to yeah. aggressively do that. But um, right now, the only thing we're fundraising for is uh, uh, the research fund which yeah, is I'm, actually, actually going well. <clears throat> well.
1: And I think a, a lot of the stuff, um, a, a lot of the stuff Cassad does is not big and sexy. You know what I mean? It's not a big, sexy ad campaign. It's not a big, sexy video campaign. It's drudgery. <laughs> it's drudgery. That's what we do. We do the well, stuff that's laborious and drudgerous. And, um, we oh, do a we, lot of it, and we, and I think people just—I don't know whether they're overwhelmed or what. But go ahead.
3: We we uh, you me Julie and other and Carl and other board members. You know we mm-hmm. we do the the slogging it out in the trenches and writing copy and editing documents and researching bills and that's the stuff that's not so sexy. But by the time it gets to the general membership and you know our and any consumer who's willing to spend less than three minutes to point and click. um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's fairly straightforward. We need some personal information and you need to click a button and perhaps edit a letter to your lawmaker. It's, we've done a lot of that unsexy work to uh, make it easy for people. We have an Instagram account. (laughs) (laughs) There's not scantily clad women pimping devices and juices, but um, you know, It's still, there's pictures. I
2: noticed this the other day, and by the way, um, I think it's really sad that you have to do this, but um, thank you to whatever board member at Kassad decided that I needed to get a thank you note from Kassad thanking me for submitting my comments to the state of Pennsylvania to fight the legislation that they're trying to push through on me. Um, I think that it is very, very sad that you guys had to sit down and craft out a thank you note for the people that you did the favor for. But um, yeah, thanks for the letter.
3: Well, actually, well, thank you. Um, It's, you know, that was, you're talking about the uh, call to action where it's sending a thank you letter to your Congress, your, your state legislator.
2: You sent um, out a call to action for people to submit comments to the state, and I did, and the next thing I know, I get this nice little thank you from Kassah for standing up for my damn self.
3: Actually, uh, just in the spirit of credit where credit's due, um, Chris Hughes, actually, from uh, Pennsylvania Safada, mm-hmm. passed that along to us, uh, and, and they, he was they were told by their lobbyists, that that was a good idea. And so um, that we actually need reminders in order to do those things because it's an important follow-up in any of these states where we've seen something along the lines of victory. I say that with reservations, Um, but uh, anytime we see any positive um, movement, um, we should be sending thank you letters uh, to all of these legislators. Um, I have a list, I have about 7,000 people that signed our thank you letter to, um, speaker Boehner, um, and, and we still need to get that out. So, um, it's just, it, it's, it's really, it, you know, we spend so much time fighting against stuff. It, it is actually very difficult to take a step back and say, thank you. So. Um, so thank you, Jeannie, for <laughs> for bringing that up.
1: Well, you know, for for everybody who does it, you know, thank you for taking the time to do it. Um, thank you for caring.
2: Can you hear me rolling my
1: eyes at you? Can you hear that? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I, I mean, and I I think it's probably right too, because as as much as I sit here and go, people don't read, people don't pay attention. There's a large volume of people who do, who pay attention, who care, who do the right things and, and, and try to encourage others to do the right thing. And we don't say thank you to those people. So really, sincerely, thank you. Um, Thank you for allowing us to help you. Yeah. Um, And,
3: and, uh, you know, to get to maybe the the current. Uh, events, uh, right now the only current call to action, well we have several current calls to action but at the state level, uh, the most recent one that is going to be very relevant next week uh, is Alabama um, which we uh, sort of, well anyway, uh, so Alabama I, thank yous in order, uh, we have 300 some odd new members in Alabama who uh-huh. have taken taken action so, thank you to the 378 people in Alabama that sent letters to their state legislators, and I'll we'll probably send out another email blast tomorrow. Um, but for those that don't know, Alabama is looking at a 25 cent per milliliter tax um, mm-hmm. at the behest of the government or the governor, um, looking to shore up some budget shortfalls there. Um, And the Alabama legislature is coming back into special session starting Monday, August 3rd. So uh, that will be a a fight worth watching and, of course, participating in. We now have 1,300 people uh, on our list from Alabama. Uh, So there's about a thousand more folks that should send their letters. Um, <laughs> and there are some there's some advocacy group there is an advocacy group on the ground in Alabama that's working close um, I, I, I assume that they are having conversations with important decision makers so um, just the breathe easy breathe easier alliance of Alabama I believe um, and so they're worth uh, following if you're in Alabama um, but yeah that's the important thing to promote, and of course, since we're talking about I guess positive things that lawmakers need to hear, mm-hmm. um, it would be testimonials. On more than one occasion, we've heard from the, the local folks that you know they've had conversations with lawmakers in their state, and what the lawmakers are most curious about is whether or not these products actually help people and as it turns out kasau has a growing collection of testimonials um i i i want to say that we we only have just over 4000 testimonials that's still that's that's still a lot um but considering the millions of people in this country that use these products we should have tons more so um yeah promoting our testimonials projects to your friends and people you see at the vape shop and vape meets and so on would be uh, fantastic. And of course we'll link to that in the description of this podcast.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had, um, I had a vendor contact us uh, wanting to know about vendor memberships. I'm like, we don't really have them. It's, it's free, but it's, we're a consumer group and he's like, well, how, How can I? I don't have a lot of money, but how can I support you? And I said, well, print off some cassava material, put it in your store, (laughs) send it out in your orders. Um, That's huge. That's huge for us. Making people aware of who we are and what we do is really huge. So uh, even the thing you think would matter least is huge in terms of support for what we can do going forward for you, you know? Um, so just food for thought, I guess.
3: Yeah. And it's, I mean, if there's any uh, encouragement that, that vendors need to, you know, this is kind of, it's, it, this should be an easy conversation. I think, you know, I went to my preferred brick and mortar today. Um, I, I only get to visit him like once every three months, I guess, but um, right. <laughs> I have to drive out there. Um, yeah. but you know, I watched him have a conversation with a, a returning customer and, you know, she was explaining how you know, she was the, she was the heavy smoker in her group of friends. And she went mm-hmm. back and, you know, out of all the people that she hangs out with, she was the least likely to quit smoking. And of course she switched to vaping and mm-hmm. now everybody on her block has switched to vaping and they all get together and they talk about it and they have fun. And, you know, she just stood there and told her she I, I watched that verbal testimony, you know, that, that everybody has, and uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he reached out and said, gave her a Kesaw card and said, "Here, you need to join this and tell everybody on the block, you know." Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a really easy conversation, and it's 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 really important, you know. The it, you're you own a store, so you've got yourself, your 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 wife, your husband, your business partner, whoever you're you, you've got your staff, it's mm-hmm. two, three, five people, whatever. So right. there's seven people right off the bat that you can just, just have them join our list and get our alerts. And then you've got the hundreds of thousands of customers that walk through your door every month. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly. that's huge. That 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 participation and engagement is worth more than a $1 dollar or a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. I, you
1: know, I I really agree. I mean, and I think, I think people don't realize how important that word of mouth is. You know, it it really has, it's really the one thing I've noticed about this community word of mouth, not what happens on Facebook or whatever, can make or break you. It really can. And I'm talking about as a, as a, a vendor, or as a vaping personality or, or whatever, that can make or break you. And it's huge when someone can say this This group is doing good things or they're trying to do good things, you should support them. And we want to. We want to do more. We want to do more to help you. It's what it's all about. It's not about us. So, um. So I guess that seems like it's it for this Yeah, week. it's a
3: short one. We're going to start getting into this conversation about what people can be doing in the off-season soon. Um, it's, it's July. I, I believe there's a handful of states that are still in session. And, of course, we've got these weird special sessions that are going to be problematic. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, for, for those folks whose state has adjourned uh, early... I guess um you know there there's there are conversations you can have with your lawmakers in the off season, and to be honest, a lot of that includes your personal story so um, yeah,
1: exactly if you haven't already submitted a testimonial, uh please submit one at testimonials at casad dot org or you can just go to the front page of casad dot org um, that has been reorganized and oh, you can wouldn't
3: say reorganized, but well, uh, read some, some text brighter. Real,
1: it, it's been reordered a bit. Is that better? It's
3: um, overstating it.
1: Okay, well, it's it's been stuff's been moved up front so you can see it. There
3: you go, that
1: <laughs> just it yeah. off.
3: Yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you can find all that information at uh we dot org where on twitter uh casaw media uh youtube as cassaw media facebook as um the official cassaw page, which would be i guess the page for casat dot org and um the we are Cassa group um come on down and join the conversation. We'd love to talk to you and and join Kas if you've not already done so. It's free for you, and it helps us help you. Thank you, Alex. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. Thank you. It was very strange not having a huge list of of places that were trying to kill us.
0: Well, you know. Don't get too
1: used to it. Oh, I'm not. I'm, I'm, not. I'm not. We've got, uh, I'm sure federal season's going to be amping up soon enough, so we've got that delicious fun to look forward to. Um, Yay. So, yeah. Um, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to grab something from my Facebook page. I haven't even read this yet. Um, Musk, Hawking, Wozniak call for a ban on autonomous weapons and military AI. A very large number of scientific and technical luminaries have signed an open letter calling for the world's governments to ban the development of offensive autonomous weapons to prevent a military AI arms race letter, which will be presented at the International Joint Conference on Artificial Intelligence in Buenos Aires tomorrow, is signed by Stephen Hawking, Elton Musk, Noam Chomsky, uh, Steve Wozniak, and dozens of other AI and robotics researchers. For the most part, the letter is concerned with dumb robots and vehicles being turned into smart autonomous weapons. Cruise missiles and remotely piloted drones are okay, according to the letter, because humans make all the targeting decisions. The development of fully autonomous weapons that can fight and kill without human intervention should be nipped in the bud, however. Here's one of the main arguments from the letter. The key question for humanity today is whether to start a global AI arms race or prevent it from starting. If any major military power pushes ahead with AI weapons development, a global arms race is virtually inevitable. And the end point of this technological trajectory is obvious. Autonomous weapons will become the... Here you go, Vary. There's a word for you. Uh,
3: Uh,
1: Yeah, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Wrong window. Hang on. Here you go. The Kalashnikovs of tomorrow. Later, the letter draws a strong parallel between autonomous weapons and chemical biological warfare. Just as most chemists and biologists have no interest in building weapons or biological weapons, most AI researchers have no interest in building AI weapons and do not want others to tarnish this field by doing so, potentially creating a major public backlash against AI that curtails its future societal benefits. The letter is being presented at IJCAI by the Future of Life Institute. It isn't exactly clear who the letter is addressed to, other than the academics and researchers who will be attending the conference. Perhaps it's just intended to generally raise awareness of the issue so we don't turn a blind eye to any autonomous weapons research being carried out by major military powers. Um, Elton Musk and Stephen Hawking have both previously warned of the dangers of advanced AI, Musk has said that AI is potentially more dangerous than nukes, while Hawking was far more optimistic, merely saying that AI is our biggest existential threat. The main issue with AI in general and autonomous weapons in specific is that they are transformational, sea-change technologies. Once we create an advanced AI or weapon system that can decide for itself who to attack, there's no turning back. We can't put gunpowder or nuclear weapons back in the bag, and autonomous weaponry would be no different. Thoughts on that? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you're
2: laughing. That's pretty much already out of the bag anyway, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, mean, when you're talking about, there's no difference between a remote control Humvee to me, or remote control tank, than there is in that of a drone.
1: Well, there so, isn't, but I mean It's already out of the bag, so Okay, well, he, you know, this is the difference between this he didn't patent that shit? This is the difference between a kid who has some control over who he targets and Skynet That's, that's basically what the difference is <laughs> that's, that's basically the difference There's human intervention on one side Some kid following orders from somebody higher up and then there's a computer going, you know, these human beings are sick. You know, uh, we should put them out of their misery. That's the difference. You know, we've already created AI. All we can hope for is that our best and brightest were involved in creating it. And that they created it to be better than we are. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I understand what you mean, Jan, but I'm just saying,
2: we've already gone there. Um, And if you don't really think that they don't have a computer program set up to operate these drones, I think that is rather naive because I promise you, our military has already put a plan in action for that to happen because their defense on that mess is... We can tell the computer, this is black, this is white, there is no in-between. Where, <laughs> with a human, there is always that difference. And I, and by the way, I guess you giggled, and I think maybe I said that wrong. Um, there's no gray area. There's what I meant to say. Um, no, I, I understand. If I make a black and a white reference, somebody's going to think <laughs> I that.
1: wasn't laughing about that. Okay. But, I, but I wasn't talking about, you know, reenacting the Civil War either, because to me, that's a fucking non-issue. Um, I, I was talking about future consequences. Right now, this is future shock. Right here, right now, what we're experiencing is future shock. The future is coming so fast, you've got no time to stop it. I mean, we talked last, actually, very and I talked last week about the, the King's test. Yeah. You know, uh, how now we're getting computers that can pass for human. And old tech, that can have conversations with people. There's a hotel. It's called Hotel Strange in Hong Kong. It has a velociraptor for your receptionist when you check in. The whole hotel is autonomized. There is not one human member of that fucking staff. This is the kind of future we're heading towards. And this is why I call this stuff future shock. And this is why I say we need to have a real talk, real serious talk about money, jobs, and work, and the way we live. All of this stuff is going to come to a massive head and change how we live. And it's happening immediately. Um, yeah. It's already
2: happening. Um, did you see that New York State did the same thing that Seattle did with minimum yeah. wage for yeah. fast food workers?
1: Well, I've already told you um, the guy I know who had a couple kids who worked at McDonald's, his job's toast had a couple kids, worked at McDonald's, even though you're not supposed to have a couple kids and be a McDonald's worker, you know, that's supposed to be an entry level job. There's supposed to be something else to move up to. There isn't anymore because we don't fucking make anything here. Um, his job has gone. Yeah. Not because he wanted more yeah. money, but because the was- issue that
2: they're having in Seattle now is the workers want a reduction in their hours so that they don't lose their government benefits. <laughs> so yeah, that helped, right? Um, I, I no. just... I don't know where... there There's no end in sight for any of it. But I just think that this story... It's a little ridiculous for some of the people that have been leaders in AI... And robotically <laughs> controlled things to be writing a letter saying... Oh, well, wait, wait, wait. You know what?
1: Um, This might know, be a mistake. <laughs> well, a lot of things have been a mistake. Um, what they're finding... Okay. Um, you already know, like, I lean pretty libertarian on things. What I don't lean really libertarian on is one thing. If I have to pay taxes, corporations should have to pay taxes. Um, my federal government, my local government should not be trying to make up whatever tax breaks they're giving to businesses out of my pocket simply because the Supreme Court has said they're a human being. I'm a human being. You know, so. You know, I'm a human being. This business is a human being. You're going to give them a $5 billion tax break. All that excess money is going to come from me. And yet, we're going to send our kids to protect their interests overseas and fight stuff, and they're not going to pay me a living wage. Okay. Okay. So, I have some real problems with corporations and and banks and, and all that stuff. I'm trying to work it all out in my head, and I haven't wrapped it around there yet. I'll get there someday. But I think a radical shift and a rethink in money and goods and services is coming. Um, just because I'm having so many issues with trying to figure out where I stand, I think it's confusing for everybody where they stand.
2: I mean, everybody's okay. watched California, and I really think that some people ought to start watching New York State um, because they are just pulling one wonder move after another
1: after another. You Uh, need to look at Detroit. you, You want to see your future? Look at what happens when you give tons of tax breaks to businesses. Tons of them. Where in the last four quarters last year, guess how much businesses, local businesses, paid Detroit for goods and services provided by the city. Take a guess. I don't even want to because I look like negative one billion dollars. So all that money comes out of the people who live in Detroit who can least afford it. Some somewhere we have to find some kind of balance. It can't all be coming off the backs of the middle class because they're the only ones paying taxes. The rich don't pay them. The poor can't pay them. So everything's coming off of the middle class. It, it can't continue that way. The way things are now is completely unsustainable. And if we're going to have a system where everybody's taxed and the government interferes with every aspect of your fucking life, something's got to change. You know, I I think that's a real issue. Sorry. I went off. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry.
2: No! (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is your show. You're allowed to do that.
1: I know, but I try really hard not to. I haven't really gone off on on government and taxation in a really long time because I don't think it does any good. It just upsets me. Um, But anyway, I was talking about money and its radical rethink, and and here's a perfect, this is actually a perfect story. Um, This is about Greece. Euros discarded as impoverished Greeks resort to bartering. This is what I mean by a radical rethink of money community set up local currencies and exchange networks in an attempt to beat the economic crisis. It's been a busy day at the market in downtown Veldeos. Angeliki Ioannou, wow, <laughs> very. I needed you here. Has sold a decent quantity of olive oil and soap, while her friend Maria has also done good business with her fresh pies. But not a single euro has changed hands. None of the customers on this drizzly Saturday morning has bothered carrying money at all. For many, browsing through the racks of second-hand clothes, electrical appliances, and homemade jams, the need to survive means money has been usurped. It's all about exchange and solidarity, helping one another out in these very hard times, enthused iona too, her hair tucked under a floppy felt cap. You could say a lot of us have dreams of a utopia without the euro. In this bustling port city at the Fort of Mount. Hylon, in the heart of Greece's most fertile plain, locals have come up with a novel way of dealing with austerity, adopting their own alternative currency, known as the TEM. As the country struggles with its worst crisis in modern times, with Greeks losing up to 40% of their disposable income as a result of policies imposed in exchange for international aid, the system has been a huge success. Organizers say some 1,300 people have signed up to the informal bartering network. For users such as Iona, 2, the currency, a form of community banking monitored exclusively online, is not only an effective antidote to wage cuts and soaring taxes, but the best kind of shopping therapy. One Tem is the equivalent of one euro. My oil and soap came to 70 Tem, and with that I bought oranges, pies, napkins, cleaning products, and Christmas decorations, said the mother of five. I've got 30 Tem left over. For women who are worst affected by unemployment and don't have coffee houses to go to like men, it's like belonging to a hugely supportive association. Greece's deepening economic crisis has bought new users. With ever more families plunging into poverty and despair, shops, cafes, factories, and businesses have also resorted to the system under which goods and services, everything from yoga sessions to health care, babysitting to computer support, are traded in lieu of credits. For many, it plays a double role of supplementing lost income and creating a protective web at this particularly difficult moment in their lives, says uh, a man who's a U.K.-educated sociologist among the network's founders. Yanni Gregoritz. Sure. The older generation in this country can still remember when bartering was commonplace. In villages, you'd exchange milk and goat's sheets for meat and flour. Other grassroots initiatives have appeared across Greece. Increasingly bereft of social support or a welfare state able to meet the needs of a growing number of destitute and hungry, locals have set up similar trading networks in the suburbs of Athens, the islands of Corfu, the towns of Pataris, and northern Katerini. But Volos, the first to be established, is by far the biggest. Until recently, the city, 200 miles north of Athens, was a thriving industrial hub with a port whose ferries not only connected to the mainlands, but to nearby islands. But before the Syrian descent into civil war was a trading route between Greece and the Middle East. Once famous for its tobacco, Valos was home to flour mills and cement factories, steel and metal works. But today it is joblessness that it has come to be known for in a country whose unemployment rate recently hit a European record of 26%, surpassing even that of Spain. Frankly, the Tem has been a lifesaver, says Christine Kotisori, clutching DVDs and a bag of food as she emerged from the marketplace. In March, I had to close the grocery store. I had kept going for 27 years because I just couldn't afford all the new taxes and bills. Everyone I know has lost their jobs. It's tragic. Last year, the Greek government stepped in with new laws that supported finding creative ways to cope with the crisis. For the first time, alternative forms of entrepreneurship and local development were actively encouraged. Although locals insist the TEM, which is also available in voucher form, will never replace banknotes and has not been dreamed up to dodge taxes, they still say it is a viable alternative. For local officials such as Panos, the mayor of Valos, the alternative currency has proved to be an excellent way of supplementing the euro. We are all for supporting alternatives that help alleviate the crisis's economic and social consequences, he said. It won't ever replace the euro, but it is really helping weaker members of our society. And all the social activities of the municipality, we are encouraging the tem to be used. Now, we used to trade. We didn't have fungible currency forever ago
0: fungible currency uh, was just
1: something we dreamed up to trade our labor for goods.
0: Yeah, I've spent my whole life doing deals with people individually. Yeah. Rather than paying for things. It's just something something you do. Uh,
1: yeah. It is something you do. and And I think for people who haven't always had a lot, and I grew up on a farm, we didn't have a lot. You know, but if you had neighbors who farmed and they had access to something and you had access to something and each person wanted something the other one had, you were that much richer for it. You know, um, and I think that kind of economy is probably going to be coming back where it's not necessarily the economy of money so much as the economy of barter, which isn't that different. People remember as kids you would trade stuff with other kids. Right. Even though we don't do it so much anymore, I could see it becoming more commonplace in the future. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, we think of money as one thing, and it runs our lives, and it doesn't really need to. Thoughts, Jeannie? I'm all for
2: bartering. And, I mean, anybody that can think of, of any little thing that will save you money in the long run is a good move. Um, I will, you know, I am never going to be a breadwinner in this family again, so I grow vegetables. And I found a way to grow vegetables that I could do with my medical conditions. Um, And it really saves us a huge sum of money.
1: Yeah, no, it, it does. And for the last fun story, well, actually, that was kind of uplifting, considering.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, for the last fun story, because I promised, this is from the ACLU, building a mass surveillance infrastructure out of light bulbs. Yeah, this is just un believable by the way. <laughs> mm, okay, well, I mean, it's believable. I mean, this is just un believable <laughs> Oh, well, it is. But, I mean, I don't talk about anything I can't prove. All right. I don't read any story on the air I can't prove. I can't find other places. I mean, the, the Wired story from earlier, I'd seen four or five places earlier. And I checked on it before I came on the air. That's why I picked it up and just read it about, you know, AI coming to destroy us all. Um, I just thought it was interesting. Okay. For almost a quarter of a century... General Electric's corporate slogan was, GE, we bring good things to life. Well, based upon a report in Sunday's New York Times, the company may want to dig up that old slogan, repurpose it a bit, and roll it out as, GE, we bring mass surveillance to lights. According to the Times, using a combination of LEDs and big data technology, everyday streetlights, as well as those used to illuminate parking lots, store interiors, and other locations, will soon be equipped for mass data collection. Of course, the soft sell for this hybrid product, which, as reported by the Times and Routers in 2013, is manufactured by several companies, including GE and Sentry Systems. Sentry Systems has some really scary fucking videos on YouTube. I, I encourage you to go and look at those if you care about privacy at all. It is based largely around benevolent goals. For one thing, the LED bulbs are far more energy efficient than the light fixtures currently used by most cities. That's good. They also point out that the built-in monitoring features can be used to ease traffic congestion and sense when garbage cans are full. Who wouldn't like that? Of course, there's more. These light bulbs of the not-so-distant future will also be able to GPS track individual shoppers as they travel through stores. Wait, what? The light bulbs can function as tracking devices? We would have to imagine that they can GPS track shoppers in stores. They could work just as effectively to track people as they walk the streets of our cities and towns. In fact, if you traveled through Newark Liberty International Airport in the last year, these spy bulb lights were already watching you. And there's more. The bulbs can be programmed to pick up on suspicious behavior. What exactly does that mean? If two women wearing headscarves decide to chat in a parking lot after seeing a late night movie, are police going to be notified? I always figured Big Brother was going to be some giant face on a wall, not a tiny camera hidden inside a light bulb. The ACLU strongly opposes the creation of infrastructures for ubiquitous mass surveillance, including the widespread deployment of light bulb spying technology. But what is particularly troubling, the wide. Uh, Here is the stealthy way in which the product is being marketed and pitched to the press, to wit, as an energy-efficient light bulb with built-in monitoring technology. Given the limited use of the product as a lighting device and the broad scope of its tracking and surveillance features, what this product really appears to be is a mass surveillance device being disguised as an LED light bulb. I would bet that if we could see a breakdown of the device's production costs, the light bulb versus surveillance technology discrepancy would be equally pronounced. There are no doubt increasing number of cameras in our public spaces, but it would still be a big deal for governments to construct giant stealth surveillance networks that are under their centralized control. And although these surveillance bulbs may have beneficial uses, I think we would be far better off keeping our privacy, finding other ways to combat full trash cans and traffic congestion, and not bringing mass surveillance to lights.
0: And you can probably buy some of the bulbs on fast tech
1: (laughs) you probably can yeah you probably can i don't know i just find it disturbing it's there's less and less space you can call your own and the only space that feels like your own anymore is the space between your own brain cells They've got predictive technology that looks at how you type. So when you're typing an email, depending on what your email client is, it knows what you're going to type before you type it. Businesses have had this technology for a long time and now governments want it. Only it's hard to tell who's worse. Is it worse that the government has all this information about you? Or is it worse that advertisers have it all about you? Or is it just all the way around bed that there's going to be this much data floating around about you? Always, no matter where you go now. What's safe anymore? What's sacred? The, the space between neurons in your brain? It's about it, right?
2: We've been begging for technologically advanced
1: and... This is, here it is. Not me. I mean, I was a late comer to computers, and I still have a semi-idiot phone, and, you know, um, I've always been a late adopter of things. I like for bugs to get shaken out, but the later you adopt stuff, it doesn't mean that bugs are shaken out. It just means that more bugs get written in. The ones that watch yeah. you. <laughs> you know it uh, it's kind of disturbing and I keep saying the only good point about this to me is that if we can't hide they can't hide and when I say something like that I mean like let's say what happened in Congress last week where an hour before a massive bill was supposed to be voted on people got the copy an hour before 10,000 page bill one hour before millions of dollars at stake and we know rules, about this now not,
2: it, Well, it right, should right, be what? thrown out it should what? not be legal for that to be
1: it's not considered it's, on a but it's illegal and they do it anyway it's illegal they do it anyway no one calls them on it but the thing is we know about this now Like, just like we knew about uh, healthcare.gov was going to be what it is because nobody had read the bill. That wonderful senator from California, Diane fucking bitch Feinstein, stood up. We have to pass the bill to see what's in it. It's not how the business of governance is done. And if you think that's how the business of governance is done, you need a pink slip. Get the fuck out. We really need to think about how we want the future to look. And then we have to take steps to make it better. What those are, I'm not sure of, but I I, I think we can make it happen. I'm pretty sure we can. I think there's more determined, good, kind people that don't want to live this way. Then there are people just willing to roll over and accept it. I have to. Advert. Advert. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in-stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices fast. AmmoSeek.com Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next Monday.